Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Top Flag Time Machine are going to be going on tour in early November. You will experience physical movement and emotional movement and so much more. From both of us. Bowel movement? Maybe there'll be a little bit of bowel movement. I can't promise it, but if that's what you're looking for, we can make it happen, probably. It won't be uh, one of those things where a podcast episode is recorded in a theatre. Fuck that. This is a proper show with um, songs and dancing and um, high moments of uh, exhilaration. So come along. Let's just quickly tell you where we're going to be. Uh, the 1st of November, we're in Brighton. 2nd of November, we're in um, Nottingham. The 3rd, we're in Leeds. The 5th, we're in Manchester. The 7th, we're in Glasgow. The 8th, we're in Newcastle. The 9th, we're in Birmingham. And the 10th, we're in London. <gasps> the capital. Mm, what a uh, finale. It's going to be good. I think there's a few tickets left at most venues. Yep. It's uh, going to be really exciting. It's called the Velvet Drainpipe Tour. It's going to be better than the last one, yeah. which is saying something, because the last one was fucking amazing. Ask anyone who yeah. went. But this one, whoa, it's going to knock your cock off. Or if you're a lady, it will knock off your boobs. Go to tftimemachine.com slash live shows to have a look at where you get tickets from. There'll also be a chance to interact with us in an official capacity while we're on stage, not after the show. In a very limited capacity. Come along, you'll love it. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go, here we go, here we go, here we go. This is it. This is Top Flight Time Machine. I am Andy Dawson. Pow, pow, pow. I am Sam Nifty Delaney. So what? This is the second part of History Box. Phil Collins, Live Aid. One of the greatest cultural moments of the 1980s, I think. But um, Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, a lot of people would say the, the pinnacle wasn't it? of the 1980s. I can't think of anything yeah. that happened post-85 uh, in the world of rock and pop that was as big as this. Not Live Aid, but Phil Collins flying across the Atlantic on Concord and playing in two gigs on the same day. Yeah. And what a day he had. In the mm. last episode, I think we got as far as him just having to basically have a row with his daughter, who was 12, and understandably, as a 12-year-old girl in the year 1985, yeah. like the best thing that would ever happen was Live mm. Aid. Your dad was going to be as close as to the, the headliner as you could get, mm. and he said that she couldn't come. I mean, you would be fucking fuming. My sister-in-law went, because she, and this there's a reason this comes into my head, she, at the time, was sort of going out with uh, a stepbrother of Elton John's. Wow. So you know in The Greatest Book of All Time, Elton John, me. Me? His dad, his dad did the off. I don't know if you remember this bit of it, but his dad did yeah. the off and had a separate family and just kept Elton, a.k.a., what's he called? Dwight. Reg. No, Reg, that's it. Dwight. Dwight Reginald. Uh, yeah. <laughs> right. He, 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 um, yeah, he, ju- he just sort of like rejected him, like you're not really part of the family. But he, he was did really happy. His... his second family was really happy, wasn't it? 
Yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. It was a proper yeah. nuclear family, but he was just raging all the time when he was with his when he was with Elton's mum. Yeah, the first yeah. Family, so yeah, it was, was obviously a, a part of his fury. life he just wanted to forget about. But they must have had some semblance of a relationship mm. because this lad, who had I mean, my my uh, sister in law grew up in Essex, so they must have lived out there. And she met this lad, and um, she since admitted, actually, that they weren't really dating. And she sort of indicated to me that it was exploitative of her because <laughs> this 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 kid was, like, in the friend zone with her, very much in the friend zone. Oh, yeah. But then she cottoned on to the fact that he had a stepbrother who was Elton John and yeah. therefore could get tickets to life. Yeah, certain advantages to be had from it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And so she, I think she led him on a bit. I don't know, she's probably, like, in her early teens mm. herself. And so she, what I'm saying, the reason I bring this up is that she, as a result of knowing this lad, Mm. got to go to Live Aid and was even backstage, yeah? And that is someone who is the friend, not even girlfriend, of the, like, highly estranged stepbrother of Elton John, yeah? And she still got to go, but this girl was Phil Collins' daughter who lived with Phil Collins and she didn't get to go. What kind of mad injustice is that? But this is Phil Collins all over for you. He's so humble that he doesn't yeah. bother asking for fucking backstage passes or tickets. Yeah, to, or yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas yeah, that yeah. John will be like, yes, well, I'll do the show, but I'll need 100 guest list tickets. I'll need a ticket for everyone I've ever met. <laughs> and I've met more people than most. And that includes <laughs> my estranged family, who I don't even get along with. <laughs> who I do not like and who do not like me. And their friends. <laughs> I remember Live Aid Live Aid was the day after my 13th birthday and I got money for my birthday and I spent yeah. it all on a sharp uh, stereo cassette recorder you know like a portable oh, one yeah. and it was red oh. and it, 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 I can't, can't remember if I had tape to tape or I had two tape decks I think it just had one tape deck but what yeah. I did I got that on my birthday the day before Live Aid and I got a pack of 10 TDK D90s and I taped honestly I'm becoming semi-aroused don't blame you I am just thinking about it I bought 10 TDK D90s and I taped all of Live Aid off Radio 1 did you plug it oh off Radio 1 I thought you were going to say some people managed to record off of the telly well it was simulcast wasn't it on Radio 1 stereo so I recorded it all off that the whole thing did I ever listen to it again did I fuck uh, have you got the DVD box set of Live Aid? No. I have. My wife got it for me for Christmas years ago, and we, we I don't think we ever actually ploughed our way all the way through it, mm. right? Because, you know, it's a lot. So you start watching it. It starts with, like, quote, the good thing is the Star Council come on very early, and it was a really good performance by Star Council. In fact, we talked to Mick Talbot about it, didn't yeah. we, last year? And it's really, uh, really good. And then I can't remember who else comes on early doors. I think maybe Elvis Cosquello yeah, he comes did one on song, quite didn't early. He? Acoustic. Yeah. Um, obviously, Core kick it off. Um, <clears throat> Shardier was yeah. on early on, I think. Which was the right decision for Quote to kick it off, wasn't it? In retrospect. Yes, of course. Of course it was. Like, they came on and did rocking all over the world. And you just sort of think, yeah, fair. Yeah. What else are you going to start with? Um, Do you know what I mean? So... So, but I haven't been all the way through it, but I would say probably my favourite thing of the whole DVD, my favourite thing of anything to do with that amazing historical day 
<laughs> is and there's so many to choose from. I mean, you know, obviously Noel Edmonds in the helicopter, all the things in this book. Well, this story is probably my favourite thing to do with Live Aid, but I didn't discover that until years later when I read this book. But it's probably the song and particularly the video for um, Feed the World. Uh, not Feed the World. Um, the, uh, the US version, USA for We Africa. are the world. We are the world. Yeah. Yeah. Written by Michael Jackson and mm. Lionel Richie and produced by Quincy Jones. And there's a mad bit where, I mean, the whole video is sensational. The fact that I think even in other countries, our own Band-Aid is more famous is mm. weird because, let's be honest, Feed the World is like absolute, like, it's a shit song with silly words, right? But We Are The World is a sensational song, right? With amazing words. And in the room is like every fucking everyone every from Bob Dylan, to, yeah. uh, Bob Dylan to Al Jarreau. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. like when you watch the video, which I do fairly regularly, like my wife and I will fairly regularly go, let's have a little watch of We yeah. Are The World, cheer us up a bit. And there's so many great bits. My favourite bit is when they do one of those 80s effects where they have two headshots, two people singing at the same time. They sort of blur them into each other like they're looking into each other's eyes. And it's Stevie Wonder and Bruce Springsteen. Yeah. (laughs) And it's just like, you just think, why is this not the most famous thing to do with the whole Live Aid project? It's fucking insane. It's a great song too. And the sweatshirts they wear, which I've spent a long time trying to source online without much um, luck, although you'll probably be able to find one. Um, The USA for Africa sweatshirts and T-shirts they're wearing are really cool too. You'd think some hipsters would have put them on on Etsy or Redbubble by now, wouldn't you? That's what I would hope, but I I haven't found them, but, you know. (laughs) We are the world. (laughs) We are the world. We are the children. And the the really funny thing about it is, right, is you've got all of these fucking mega stars. Do you know what I mean? Like Prince didn't turn up, though, did he? Prince. The funny thing is, Prince and Madonna didn't turn up. Yeah. But Prince is anyone who didn't turn up to the British one, right, now has a story as to why. Like, if you read Andrew Ridgely's book, he's got a reason why he wasn't there, blah, blah, blah. Because no one wants to say, I didn't fancy it. I didn't spot that it Mm. was going to be a big deal, right? Um... I don't know what Prince's attitude was. I've got my big Prince book by Matt Thorne sat beside me, so I'll look it up. But I'm pretty certain Prince would have been the only pop star in the world to have had the balls to go, no, I'm not going. Yeah. And then they go, why not, Prince? He would have just gone, don't want to. Fuck him. Not not interested. <laughs> I'm too busy being Prince, mate. Exactly. This doesn't fit in <laughs> I mean, with Prince. Uh, yeah. All right. There's, there's fucking people starving in Africa. I get that, right? But there's a lot of problems in the world. My problem is I need to be Prince all the time, and that takes a huge amount of time and energy. I've got a very detailed schedule of Princing lined up for the next nine months. Uh, this is not in it. I can't no, I don't it. have a single window in my diary over the next like, nine months. I mean, I have got to plan outfits. I've got to write like all-time classic pop songs. I've got to learn how to play the guitar even better than I do already. There is loads of shit to do. Yeah. Uh, but... But the funny thing about that video, right, is all of these like mega mega stars are there, really like the most larger than life collection of individuals of the twentieth mm. century are there in this room, right? They make 
Band-Aid looks slightly dreary and hum- humdrum, sort of provincial by comparison, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, Cindy Lauper's there, fucking everyone. Uh, uh, Dolly Parton's not there, but what's his name is, uh, mate. Anyway, you know, <laughs> Island's Rogers. in the stream. Kenny Rogers, Rogers is yeah, fucking there. well yeah, there, of course right? He is. <laughs> Well, have you seen have you seen Dylan in it? Dylan looks frightened at times. He he doesn't. I don't think he wants to be there. Paul <laughs> Simon's there, I think. But anyway, even amidst all of this, Michael Jackson, who wrote the song, I think, with Lionel yeah. Richie, yeah. he fucking rocks up dressed as Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson, yeah, right. Because Michael Jackson, all these different incarnations. It's like with Doctor Who. There's been a load of different Doctor Whos, but whenever Doctor Who is referenced in other forms of popular culture, like The Simpsons or whatever, it's always Tom Baker, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so Michael Jackson, there's loads of famous incarnations of Michael Jackson, but actually, really Michael Jackson is in that video where he's wearing a single spangly glove. Yeah. The the, the mirrored aviators. The spangly the sort jacket. Of faintly military spangly jacket. <laughs> <laughs> white Jackson. socks with with weird slip-ons yeah. just like yeah he is michael jackson and he's uh, they've gone oh mate his man just gone don't forget you gotta rock up to do this um thing you're doing for the live aid stuff yeah mm-hmm. do you remember that song you wrote with lionel well everyone's at studio all oh, right yeah i've got to go there but you'll be that's before you've got to go into the studio later and then you've got a couple of press activities yeah have you got your outfit planned yeah, I was thinking I'll just probably wear this um, spangly jacket, a single glove, and these mirrored aviators, <laughs> and my-, my slip-ons. I'll wear, I'll yeah, wear my Jackson fine. costume. <laughs> yeah, listen, I don't want to... There's going to be a lot of egos in that room, right? And I don't want to get involved in game-playing, like, who... I don't want to look like I'm the cunt trying to steal the limelight. So I'm just <laughs> going to go dressed in my normal Michael Jackson way. <laughs> he walks in there like a king. Which I suppose he was. He was the king of pop at the time. Well, he was. Yeah, exactly. And I suppose he's double chuffed that Prince hasn't turned up. Yeah, I fucking had some cracking news. That (laughs) Prince isn't coming. I've seen him off. And neither is Madonna. So it's fucking, it's a fucking clean route to the final for me. But that was the thing. Like Prince and Madonna were the upcoming megastars, weren't they? Jackson was already up there and Richie was already up there. So Mm. I, I don't know. There was a weird dynamic about those two not being there. But, I don't um, know what their excuses are. We'll find out. I'm, I'm looking now. Um, there's a website, and it says that Prince reportedly wasn't a fan of the song. Uh, <laughs> guitarist <laughs> Wendy Melvoin said in the book, Let's Go Crazy, Prince hated the song. Wendy says he thinks he's a badass and he wanted to look cool, and he felt like the song for We Are The World was horrible. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there's no way Prince is getting involved in a song that he hasn't written. Do you know what well, I mean? Well, that was the thing, exactly. And it was written by his arch rival at the time, yeah. Michael Jackson. So he's not going to fucking turn up. I saw a story the other day on YouTube. And uh, forgive me, we got we got in trouble recently for telling a story that someone else had once told or something. Oh, yeah, or saying some words. But, you know, listen, we're not about originality. We are just literally about thoughts coming from our brain out of our mouth. That's what we do. But I saw a clip, which you can look up on YouTube, of uh, Jimmy Fallon Mm. um, talking about meeting Prince. Because Jimmy Fallon appeared as a guest on Graham Norton, which is a very meta sort of a thing. One chat show host interviewed another chat show host. And he said, yeah, I met Prince. 
he said, um, Prince turned up at my studio. Uh, we booked Prince to come on the show. And his manager said, Prince will come, but he wants you to... He, the only thing he, he wants is that you make sure there is a table tennis table set up backstage so he right. can... Because he very much wants to play Jimmy Fallon, right? Right. At, um, at table tennis. And so Jimmy Fallon thought, weird. I don't really play table tennis. Don't know why he's got that idea, but he was very insistent. So he turned up, right? Um, and they had the table tennis table all set up in a room. But Prince never, ever mentioned it, right? Didn't <laughs> ask to play table tennis. Just wasn't mentioned, right? And uh, so they thought that was fucking weird. But he did the show and then fucked <laughs> off. Then a few weeks later, right, it's a Friday night and Jimmy Fallon's having dinner with friends and he gets a call and they go, uh, and it's Prince's manager. And he says, hey, it's Prince's manager here. Listen, I don't know what you're doing, but Prince uh, wants to meet you for a table tennis game now. Right. right, and he goes. Well, I'm having dinner with friends. He goes. Well, fine, but he's. We've got a table tennis. There's a, some sort of hipster table tennis club <laughs> in New York that <laughs> Prince's manager had booked out, even though it was a Friday night. Yeah, yeah. Just for this one game, he goes. Well, we booked out this club. This is the address. Prince will be there either way, and let's just say he's expecting you. So, so uh, Jimmy Fallon had to quickly make excuses. Go. Look, I'm really sorry, guys, but. I've just had this really weird call and Prince wants to play me at table tennis right now. So I better get down there, right? Bear in mind, he's never met Prince apart from this one appearance on the show. So he, he gets down there double quick and the club, sure enough, there's a security guy on the door, but he goes down into this basement and it's mm. a nightclub with table tennis tables, but it's empty, right? Mm -hmm. And he goes into a back room past the velvet rope, right? <laughs> and sure enough, the room is empty apart from Prince, dressed as Prince in heels and all the rest of it, right? Behind a table tennis table, holding his paddle and ball. And he just looks back at Jimmy Fallon and he goes, you ready for this? Right? <laughs> That's all he says. <laughs> so Jimmy Fallon goes, uh, okay, fine. I'm not really, uh, I'm not really a big table tennis player, but fine, let's play. <laughs> so they start, Fucking he goes, random. you want to warm up? You want to warm up or you want to start playing straight away? And, and Jimmy says, oh, we'll just start playing. So Prince serves, right? But he serves amazingly. Yeah. And the ball, it's like a rocket serve like you see in the Olympics, right? And it bounces just off the edge of the table. And Prince just goes, one zip, right? And Jimmy Fallon goes, Jimmy Fallon goes, then I got a bit annoyed. I was like, oh, you want to you talk smack? Fine, all right. If you want to take it seriously, let's do it seriously. He goes, so I started getting competitive. So you know, I've got a few points off him, but in the end, we get to the final point, right? And uh, and it's Prince to win. And he goes, match point. And Prince, again, hits a serve. And it's one of those ones that bounces just off the corner of the table. So it's impossible to get. Yeah. And and Jimmy Fallon sort of reaches for it, stretches, spins around, sees the ball spin away and realises he's lost the game. Mm. So he walks over, picks up the ball. When he turns back round again... Prince has disappeared. <laughs> Completely, like, he's nowhere to be seen. Wow. Right? And Jimmy's like, how the fuck did that happen? So he walks back to the velvet rope, right? Yeah. And the velvet rope's sort of gently swinging. Yeah. Right? So he can <laughs> see that Prince has somehow disappeared and left the club without seeing him. He's like, fuck, that's so weird, right? That's so weird. <laughs> and um, and uh, the, the, the sort of epilogue to the story is that the guy who's the lead guy in the um, what's that band? That hip hop band that are his like house band. 
the ah the really famous like band that he said they they're hip hop but they play their own instruments. Oh, uh, Jimmy Fallon's band. Um, yeah, a really famous band. Anyway, yeah, the lead singer as like knows that this is going down because I think Jimmy Fallon had texted him on the way saying you'll never believe mm. this but I'm about to play Prince downtown at table tennis. Mm. So the guy has turned up thinking fuck I got to fucking see this but he's he's got there and he's like running a bit late and as he's arrived right he's run over to the limousine which he assumes is prince's limousine right but it's all blacked out windows and he bangs on the driver's window and goes what happened is it over did it happen what happened right and the passenger window just winds down very slowly and he just sees prince's eyes and prince just goes ask your boy and then they just drive off. <laughs> and he never heard from him ever again. And now he's dead. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So they'll never know. Anyway, uh, that is that's, that's sheer plagiarism. But it's like uh, because it, that like that story is what Jimmy Van told. But I loved it so much that I'm retelling it here. And if you want to hear it told better from the horse's mouth, you can find it on YouTube. It'll be on YouTube. I mean, my favorite Prince story is when he met Matt Damon. Um, at sort oh, of yeah. the show party and Matt Damon yeah, just yeah. goes up and like some nerd says uh, hey Prince I hear, I hear you live in Minnesota Prince says uh, I live inside my own heart Matt Damon <laughs> <laughs> I live inside my own heart <laughs> Matt Damon <laughs> Matt Damon <laughs> just leave him swinging in the wind there <laughs> Matt Damon's like what just happened yeah you've been Prince Fuck. pal someone leads in and goes you've just been Prince pal <laughs> Good luck was, fucking processing that for the rest of your life. He was like the Jeremy Beadle of pop music, wasn't he? <laughs> Turning up in a full speed, dressed as a yeah. copper, setting up fucking set, setting up camp rent free in your nut <laughs> forever, and then dying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Just like the Beadle. greatest trick of them all. Yeah. And then I died, dying when they were all still wandering. You had so much more to give. Just like Beadle, <laughs> jalapeno. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. 
Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Jalapeño. Yeah, that's uh, We Are The World, um, a, a video well worth re-watching. But anyway, uh, Phil... Phil Collins. We, so we got to a bit where Phil, Phil Collins is turning up. He brings his missus, doesn't he? Because she wants yeah. the free bar. Yeah. And now that we just got to bit, they arrive at Wembley. But he had a load of rushing about to do first, didn't he? He had to drop the kids at his mum's and all the rest of it. (laughs) Yeah, he had to be up like really early. Oh, bloody hell. If I'm I'm like, killed off, we'll go bloody bananas. The traffic's going to be a bloody nightmare because live aids on, isn't it? I forgot about that. (laughs) Fucking hell. So, uh, yeah, he heads to Wembley Stadium. He says, right across London, everyone's out on the road having street parties and building a fabulous carnival atmosphere. I don't remember any street parties up here, but... uh, No. (laughs) Live Aid Street Party. (laughs) What? Where? Street Party for the starving children. (laughs) Um, So there's a dressing room compound comprised of lots of caravans parked in clusters. He says, for some reason, is it the hair? I'm lumped in with representatives of the new romantic mob, Howard Jones, oh, Nick yeah. Kershaw, and with Sting. Oh, he's been put in there with a the solo artist, hasn't he? Probably got some more Yeah, he sounds like he's got a bit of the ump about that, because he probably thinks he should be in with, like, Bowie and Jagger and Elton John. Well, I don't know. It depends. I mean, Mercury. maybe the solo artists have got, have got tour of caravans and the bands have all got statics, because they'll have a couple of bedrooms in them. Ah, bit more there you space. Go. I think that's what it is. Yeah. Um, before the show, uh, BBC's world music champion Andy Kershaw comes back to interview us clearly through gritted teeth. He later tells the BBC live in a documentary he would sooner have been talking to the cool guys like Paul McCartney or Queen or The Who, the ones who'd be a bit more fun, a bit more cred. What? But I mean, An- Andy Kershaw. Andy Kershaw's a knob, isn't he? Oh, fucking hell, mate. Andy Kershaw, right? I... Um, when I used to do the paper reviews on Sky, yeah, yeah? Uh, I mean, over the years, I did have 10 years, in, uh, and the amount of different people I'd done that review with, like, for most of it, there was, like, I had regular partners, right? Mm-hmm. So it was usually Michelle Dubry and I were, like, the sort of... But then every once in a while, they'd mix it up or she'd yeah. be away or whatever. And so all sorts of people... Like Nancy DeLolio, I did it with once, and that was sensational. Powerful. Right? I think I've talked about that. That was a powerful experience. But um, one time I did it, very rarely they put you with another geezer, right? Mm. Because they like to... But this one time I I did it with Andy Kershaw, right? Jesus. I said, who am I doing it with? The producer would call to brief you, and I go, who am I I on with tomorrow? Andy Kershaw. What, Andy Kershaw? Off of the radio and all that? Yeah. He's coming back. Right, so I thought, right, <laughs> coming okay. back. Right, well, he had some legal fucking, problems, didn't he? Yeah, but he fucking rocked up. Right, this is like talk about alarm bells. I'm in the fucking green room in my mm. suit. He's fucking rocked up in a pair of like builders short, what I call builders shorts. So like sort of cargo shorts, but like they've got brick dust all over them. Oh, right, yeah, yeah. Trying and, and and even like a couple of paint splashes. I think, yeah, yeah. Hiking boots with woolly socks showing over the top. Oh, fucking hell. Legs bare from that sock, from the ankle mm. to the knee, yeah? And just sort of like a fucking T-shirt or something. And I thought, mate, I mean, I don't want to be a Lampard, but this is 
a this bit television. weird. <laughs> yeah, I mean, make a bit of it. I mean, I'll admit, I once turned up off the back of a fucking big all-nighter in a denim jacket and had loads of text saying that I looked like a member of Bewitched. But I took that on the chin because <laughs> I was like, I've come, I've come here at six in the morning, having not slept, been out. It was in the dark days, yeah. and I couldn't find, I couldn't find a suit. <laughs> when, you, when you see when, when you see the dark days, you thought made winter. <laughs> no, I mean before I knocked all the bad habits on the head, and I fucking couldn't find a suit or anything smart to wear, and so I just grabbed a denim jacket. Thought this will do. I'll do it up to the top bottom. No one will notice. <laughs> And I got so much abuse, but I deserved it. But he turned up in shorts and a t-shirt. Anyway, it basically suffice to say he was he was extremely eccentric, right? And uh, usually it's me upsetting pharmacists or talking about cats dying on TV appearances like yeah. that. But in this case, I was very much the straight man, and I was like, I didn't know what he was going to do or what he was going to say next. And then years later, I did it quite a few times with his sister Liz Kershaw who's still very much a presence on Six Music. Yeah, for some but, reason. And I don't, I don't say this with any animosity or judgment or anything like that, but what's interesting to me is that she's extremely right-wing. Well, yeah. And, and I'm not saying that in a pejorative way. I, that's how she would describe herself, I think. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And in yeah. fact, because I'm quite left-wing, that was one of the reasons they put us on together, because we would mm. have good debates about stuff. She was extremely, like, concerned about immigration, like, mm. extremely, and and various other right-wing things. And the reason that's interesting to me is that I suppose it's just, like, counterintuitive because you think here is a, a woman who's, yeah, she's a bit of a legend in music broadcasting, Liz Kershaw, you know, and has spent her life and career hanging around with artistic people. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, she's good friends with various kind of rock stars that she's, interviewed over the years and so she, she's from a, that kind of an arty background and so it's rare you don't expect someone from that kind of environment to be right wing so it's just interesting isn't it yeah I mean there's a story about Liz Kershaw which I won't repeat on this because I don't know uh, legally if it stands up or not but um, I don't think she's I don't think she's someone I would like to spend time with at all I'd, let's I, just say I, I, I've worked with her <laughs> and I've worked with you and I would I would think that it would not go well if you worked with her <laughs> or spent time with her. Good. I know you both Good. sufficiently well to know that it would be a fucking disaster waiting to happen. A tinderbox scenario. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, yeah. Andy Kershaw, I mean, what year was this when you did the Sky News? Uh, about, I don't know. It must have been about like, I reckon it was about 2000 and. 12 or something like that he maybe was, he, he got sent to prison because he had restraining orders out against him yeah it was after the, I think it was after that yeah he'd he done all that and he, he seemed restraining orders on the Isle of Man I mean fucking hell how do you keep away from someone on the Isle of Man <laughs> it's impossible isn't it I mean if you've had a restraining order anywhere it's trouble but if you've had one on the Isle of Man this is going to be pretty extreme it's, the, it's like a, you're living in a permanent game of cat and mouse because you've got to try and know where the person you're not allowed to be near is, but you're not allowed to know where they are. So, you know... What's you going can... on in the Isle of Man, mate? I mean, what do you know about it? And do you feel that one day we ought to go there and do a live show? I feel as though the vibe I get, from, especially from speaking to you, is that the Isle of Man is the polar opposite of the Isle of Wight. It's mm. a yin and yang oh. sort of thing. Right. And that everything that's, that's beautiful and majestic about the Isle of Wight, the opposite is the case of the Isle of Man. I could be wrong. 
You mean it's quite never ugly, been an ugly place. Not necessarily ugly, ugly but of there's, spirits there's and perhaps, of geography. Yes, perhaps there is a a mood, a overhanging mood there, but I don't know because I've never been to either of them. We maybe had a I could, maybe I could do a documentary yesterday. where I go to both of them. I could call it Andy's Isles or something like that. Yes, <laughs> and I visit a tale of, of two Isles. A tale of two Isles. A tale of two Isles. Isles wide shut. I tell you the best thing I can tell you about Isle of Wight, particularly Shanklin, my favourite spot in the Isle of Wight, is uh, we were talking about it yesterday because to cheer the kids up, yeah, because lockdown's getting everyone down. I was like, let's have a little chat about the Isle of Wight because it's your happy place. It's our happy place. You talk mm. about it, and straight away you feel brighter. So I said, what is the best bit of our daily Isle of Wight routine, mm. right? And it's like talking through all the bits that you do, and it's like, right, so we get to the beach, we have a like a drink from the cafe. Then after a, a little bit of frolicking, maybe a swim, go up to the arcade, get coining, blah, blah, yeah. blah. And then after we'd left the coining arcade, we always have an ice cream. And at this particular place on the seafront at Shanklin, and this to me is like the essence of the Isle of Wight and why it's the best holiday spot in Europe, right? Yeah. <laughs> at this place, if you ask, if you go and get your ice cream, which we do every day, yeah. A single scoop, Andy, is a double scoop. Yeah. If you ask for a double scoop, you get a quadruple, quadruple scoop. scoop. And if you ask for a triple scoop, which you can, <laughs> they will give you six scoops of ice cream on one, on one mega cone. How do they do and it's that? Never, the, the thing is, mate, it's never mentioned. It's never discussed. It's just that you just have to learn. You just, This is just the language of the Isle wow. of Wight. Right? You can only you go, surely get six scoops by... Putting them on in pyramid form, a layer of three, a, um, a layer of two, and then one got, on the top. They've got one mega cone, which up. is more like a funnel. Yeah, it looks do, like it? it looks like a loud <laughs> hailer. Yeah, <laughs> right. But I think it's even got a handle on the side of it. Specially designed and commissioned just for that yeah, car- it, that ice cream emporium. Yeah, yeah, it's sort of galvanized. It's galvanized wafer. Yeah, that's yeah. to be, doesn't it? Um. Uh, it's in it's an industrial cone, industrial yeah. wafer, yeah, and it's been galvanised by layers of sugar, and <laughs> but but that like that is the Isle of Wight, and I doubt it. In the in the Isle of Man, you'd say single scoop, and that that would mean no scoop. Yeah, <laughs> if you ask a double scoop, you get one scoop. Yeah, oh, you probably so get you're a starting teaspoon, from a minus, a teaspoon <laughs> yeah. scoop, and then just put it in your hand, <laughs> <laughs> or one of those tiny teaspoons. Teaspoons that people like Stevie Nicks used to do their coke from. <laughs> the little ones, yeah. <laughs> the kind of teaspoon that you feed sea monkeys with. <laughs> We're talking uh. of feeding uh, sea creatures. Mm. Yesterday, me and the kids had a awesome Tom and Jerry session. Oh, and brilliant! We we watched like about five episodes of like the earliest Tom mm. and Jerry you can get. And those are basically the episodes that you remember. I mean, they must yeah. have made hundreds over the years, but it's basically the first 10 episodes of Tom and Jerry that are the memorable ones. Yeah. So I don't know if you remember one where a fucking seal escapes from the circus. Yes. And, and somehow rocks up at Tom and Jerry's yes. rig. <laughs> because it does. It just does. And it and it's in the fucking, it's in their pond, right? And it meets Jerry and it goes, listen, and it can talk unlike Tom and Jerry. And Jerry somehow understands it. And it basically yeah. goes, listen, I've escaped from the fucking circus, right? Because 
they kept me in a cage and then they made me blow trumpets. <laughs> and it does an impression of blowing all these trumpets. <laughs> Along a line of, you know, like they do a line of fucking horns, right? Yeah. And Jerry's like, oh. Jerry's like looking at him like, look, that yeah. does sound bad, mate. And he goes, will you help me? I need, c- can you help me? Like, because I'm hungry. Can you get me a fish? Right. And Jerry mm. goes, yeah, no problem. So Jerry goes off and thinks that. Uh, if there's one cunt I know will probably have a fish, it's that fucking cunt Tom, the greedy <laughs> bastard, right? So he goes in, and t- sure enough, Tom's asleep, right? Curled up. But next to him, presumably he's lined it up for when he wakes up, there's a yeah. big fish on the plane. Yeah, of course there is. <laughs> it's so funny. I just need so a big fish there while I have a kid. He thought, I'll, I'll have a fucking nap, but I'll leave a fish right there so when I wake up, it's just ready. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't have to barely move a muscle to just start eating my lovely fish. Anyway, so Jerry thinks, fuck it, I'm having that fish while he's asleep. So he grabs the fish. It's massive. It's much bigger than Jerry. And uh, Tom wakes up and he does a double take. I mean, what's going on that fish? But he can't see Jerry behind it because the fish is bigger than him. So mm. Jerry stood behind it holding it up. And Tom sort of does this double take, like, fuck me. He rubs his eyes like, that fish is fucking walking about. (laughs) And Jerry clocks it. He thinks, Jerry thinks himself, the silly cunt, thinks his fish has come to life. I'll have some fun with this. So he starts manipulating the fish and starts making it do this tap dance routine. (laughs) He's behind it. And it's so well animated because they keep showing the reverse view. So they see... Tom's point of view and there's yeah, this fucking big see. fish yeah. doing like a Fred Astaire routine and then it cuts to behind and you just see Jerry moving its fucking fins about <laughs> anyway fucking early Tom and Jerry it doesn't and these all the other ones that you'll remember like the one on the beach where mm. Tom's fucked off on holiday to go to a beach like just uh, it's not even a holiday he's just gone for a nice day out Yeah, and this is the one where you first realise as a kid I think Jerry might be the cunt here, not Tom. Yeah, yeah. Because in the early episodes, Tom, fair enough, is trying to capture and eat Jerry. And so Jerry just has to do what he has to do to survive. But then this day out at the beach, Tom Tom has got a packed lunch with him. He's not trying to catch any mice or anything else. He's got some jam sandwiches in a fucking picnic basket, right? He puts on his swimming costume and he spotted this sexy she-cat. And by the way... She is really fit. Is she is she a white cat? Does she have yeah. a ribbon in her hair? Oh, <laughs> that sort yeah. of thing. Like she's amazing. A spotted right? ribbon. And what? he understandably <laughs> is trying to chat her up, although he does it like my daughter <laughs> describes his efforts at romancing this this lady cat as toxic. <laughs> she actually did. Because he fucking rolls out, he starts lying next to her and he like grabs her hot dog out of her hand and eats yeah. it. And thinks that that's sort of like flirtatious. And she's like, no, that is really toxic, yeah. right? But anyway, he's just catting about. He's trying to have a day away from me. He's like, every fucking day, me and Jerry, fucking in a constant war of attrition. Yeah. A, psycho- a psychodrama, right? I can't take it. I need a day away from it all, <laughs> the at the beach, minding me on business, maybe chatting up a lady cat. I don't know, right? So that's where he is. Jerry's fucking followed him down there, right? And all he does is spend the entire day trying to sabotage Tom's efforts to chat up this cat. Robots. Yeah. Yeah. And you sort of think, why? 
you've got a day to yourself without being chased by a cat. Why don't you just stay at home? Like, make the most of the fucking... Enjoy it, uh, yeah. ...of the peace and quiet, right? And just enjoy it. No, you, you're addicted to fucking persecuting this cat. And you followed it all the way to the beach, right? And the cat is not bothering you at all. But you're thinking, fuck that. He's trying to get off. I mean, in some ways, you sort of think, is this? Is there a sexual side to their, to the dynamic? Mm. Is Jerry jealous that Tom is now paying attention yeah, to someone could else? Be. Could be. Could be, couldn't it? Um, speaking of toxic seduction attempts, I was watching an episode of Citizen Smith on Forces TV <laughs> recently. And... Um, Wolfie Smith, yeah, yeah, you know, which recently repeated Shelley, who watched all of them, yeah, yeah, and Wolfie Smith, of course, played by Robert Lindsay, the the tooting revolutionary, he'd gone to Italy to uh, catch up with his his girlfriend who'd emigrated there. She was working in a bar over there. Obviously, when he got there, turned out she had another fella. Because why not? Yeah. Um, So he goes to the beach with his daft mate. I can't remember what his daft mate's called, Um, and. He's on the beach in all of his gear. He's got his berry on and his fucking big fucking sheepskin jacket that he wears all the time in Italy in the yeah. blazing heat. It's not Italy. It's probably Margate, but, you know, it's a beach. Yeah, they filmed yeah. it somewhere. And then this woman appears in a bikini and puts her towel down and lies about 10 feet away from where he's sitting and sort of, like, smiles at him kind of thing. And he thinks, <laughs> oh, I, I, I'm in here. So he's, he's got an ice cream. He's just paying for an ice cream, him and his daft mate. So he does what he does is he gets up, he goes across... And this woman's lying face down, and he just drops his ice cream on her back. <laughs> I mean, you wonder why all these fucking do? people. But just like this is, these are influences on you when you were a kid. Yeah, yeah? exactly. And and you know, I wonder why all these men grow up having not any fucking clue about how to communicate with women or treat people with respect. It's because they're fucking watching shit like Tom Citizen and Jerry Smith. or Citizen Smith. <laughs> Where you can just go, go up, you can just approach anyone, any bird you like the look of, and start just fucking with them. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Licking their hot dogs, chucking ice cream at them. Oh, they love it. Well, because they, they just well, appreciate the attention. It's called negging, isn't it? It's called negging. That's what's not called. good. Yeah, trying to get attention. But just by tell being me quickly, negative. where did where do you think they filmed the Italy scenes? Were they all like in a studio where they'd built yeah. a beach and stuff like that? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. The indoor scenes were all in the studio and, and the beach scenes were like Margate or something like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's yeah. a, there's a uh, Audio Fills and Horses episode where they go to Spain and that's clearly yeah. filmed. The Groovy Gang. The Groovy that, Gang episode. Is that what it is? That, that's, that's clearly filmed yeah. fucking on the south coast somewhere. Oh, yeah, it's all indoor. But, it's all indoor, yeah. But, you know, fair enough. Um. That's about it for this one. We've uh, we haven't got much. We haven't even we got are, to the good bit. We were going we to finish it today, but don't worry. There's loads more to he's, come. He's turned up to his caravan and been interviewed by Andy Kershaw, and that's it. Forty minutes. Yeah. It's not good, is it, Sam? We, no, but we're we not into better. the meat of this story yet. So you you should be thanking us because there's so much more to come. <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. Goodbye. Goodbye now. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. 
and it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.